Hello everybody and welcome back to Season 2 of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, Episode 2. My name is Leon and I'm a presenter here at the SciTech Planetarium and will be guiding you on this week's stargazing session. This recording is timed to take place at 7pm on Friday June 5th, but really you can listen to it whenever you want, anytime you can see the moon in the sky. If you're new to stargazing, let me give you a good piece of advice. Make sure you're wearing warm clothing. Standing outside looking at the stars can get very chilly. Right, all ready? Let's go stargazing. We've spoken a lot about the moon in previous episodes of this audio guide, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts from. Tonight, we're going to be concentrating on two fascinating phenomena involving the moon tides and eclipses. Obviously the first thing you need to do is make sure you can see the moon. The best time to see the moon is in the early evening around about the time of a full moon and as it happens there's a full moon on Saturday June the 6th. So I'm not going to tell you where the moon is in the sky. Take a moment to find it for yourself and once you have it in your field of view you can sit back and enjoy listening. Around the time of a full moon, when the moon is fully illuminated, it absolutely dominates the night sky. And the irony of this is that professional astronomers don't really like the moon because it's so bright it can interfere with their observations. When you're trying to spot galaxies on the other side of the universe, you need very sensitive telescopes. And the last thing you want is the astronomical equivalent of an SUV high beaming into your equipment. But for us casual observers, the moon is a favourite. And written upon the surface of the moon is the history of the solar system. All the craters and lumps and surface features of the moon, each of them tells a story. Here on Earth, craters and mountains get washed away by weather and geological activity, whereas features on the surface of the moon, they're permanent. You can see the dark parts of the moon's surface, the maria as they're called. Long ago, giant asteroids slammed into the lunar surface, causing a cascade of volcanic eruptions, and the dark areas are ancient lava floodplains that resulted from these volcanoes. And looking at the surface of the moon, you can pretty easily let your imagination wander and make up all sorts of pictures in the moon, using the contrasting dark and light areas to make all sorts of things. A lot of people claim to be able to see a face in the moon, the so-called man in the moon, and for the longest of times I couldn't see anything resembling a face. And I look at the moon a lot. So last week I sat down with a very good quality image of the moon and I stared at it for about an hour, determined to see an image of a face. And after a very, very long time, I finally, finally gave up. But it got me thinking, you can make whatever images you want. They're all imaginary. So what sort of images can you make in the surface of the moon? As I was looking at the moon, I realized a new pattern I hadn't thought of before. I can see a big old human brain hidden in the dark patches across the lunar surface. See if you can spot it with me. It's upside down, 
and the darker areas to the bottom right make up the brain. And up the left hand side runs the stem and the neck, all in the dark features of the moon's surface. And it looks pretty cool. Let's see if you can spot it. And you'll know when you see it. And depending on your sense of humour, you might find it ironic or perhaps profound to imagine seeing an image of the brain. One of the things you can do with the moon is to track its daily motion. Now you can technically do this whenever you want, but around the full moon is probably the best time because, as I said, the moon is nice and bright and easy to spot and out in the early evening. And you can practice the night sky observing techniques that Leah spoke about last week. Remember, for example, the width of your pinky held out at arm's length spans about one degree across the sky. A handspan with all your fingers spread out wide corresponds to about 22 or 23 degrees, and so on. And what you can do is find the moon one night and make a note of where it is in the sky by comparing it to some background stars. Then, go and observe the moon the next night, and the night after, and the night after, and so on, for as many nights as you wish. What you should find is the moon moves across the sky about 13 degrees every single day, about the width of your hand. So that's a good project for you to get stuck into. But beyond just looking pretty in our sky and exciting our imagination, the moon has an enormous influence on our lives. Let us pause to recount a famous and often incorrectly told story, the legend of King Canute. King Canute was a real historical figure who lived in the 10th and 11th century, and he was the king of Denmark, England, and Norway all at once. And the story goes that he was bothered that his servants kept describing him as all-powerful, that he could control everything in the world. So he set up his throne on the beach and commanded the tide to stay low, to not rise into a high tide and wet his feet or his throne. And of course, the tide came in and demonstrated that even as king, he did not have power over the elements. Interestingly, this story has often been distorted by historical retellings, and modern versions of the story have the King Canute presented as being very arrogant, declaring himself so powerful that he could stop the tides, and of course being proven wrong. But I personally like the original version, it's much more humble. And it's time to understand what causes the tides, and why the king could not hold them back. And the simple answer is, the moon. The moon causes the tides. But like many things in science, it's not quite as simple as that. If I say the moon causes the tides, that's probably not a huge surprise to you. You can reason that the moon's gravity pulls on the oceans, and because the water is free to slosh around, it moves over the earth in the direction towards the moon and piles up on the side of the earth facing the moon, and that makes a high tide. And that's partially correct. If you imagine the Earth and the Moon in space, there's a bulge of water on the Earth called a tidal bulge pointing at the Moon, attracted by the Moon's gravity. And it's here where one of the high tides occurs. If you imagine a point on the Earth's surface, as the Earth rotates, that point on the surface will move through the tidal bulge and experience a high tide. But there's a problem. I said one of the high tides occurs here because in general, there are two high tides a day, and two low tides for that matter. These tides are more prominent the closer to the equator you go, and as we just said, one high tide occurs when the moon is directly overhead, 
which makes perfect sense. But another high tide occurs about 12 hours later when the Earth has rotated halfway round to face the other direction and the Moon is on the other side of the Earth. So there's actually two tidal bulges, one on either side of the Earth, and these tidal bulges are where the high tides occur and the low tide occurs at the points in between. And that raises the question, how does gravity, an effect unique in the universe that it only ever acts to attract things together, never to push them apart, how does the moon's gravity make a tidal bulge on the other side of the Earth facing away from the moon? And the answer is very subtle. Let's first recall what we learnt about gravity when we were in kindergarten. Gravity is an attraction that draws objects together, and the acceleration due to gravity depends on two things. Firstly, how heavy the objects are. You know, a big heavy star is going to have a greater gravitational influence than a tiny little asteroid, for example. And secondly, how far apart they are. And therein lies a secret about gravity hidden in that second sentence. Picture, if you will, the moon. Shouldn't be hard, you should be looking at it. The moon has gravity, so it attracts objects towards it. And now imagine three spaceships, all lined up in a straight line towards the moon. To make things easier to keep track of, the spaceship closest to the moon is red, the spaceship in the middle is green, and the spaceship furthest out is blue. And ask, how will these spaceships be affected by the moon's gravity? Well, the red spaceship, because it's closest to the moon, will experience the strongest acceleration due to gravity and will fall very fast towards the moon. The blue spaceship, because it's furthest away, will experience the least acceleration due to gravity. It will still fall towards the moon, just a lot slower. And the green spaceship in between, well, it will feel an acceleration somewhere in between. Not as fast as the red spaceship, but faster than the blue spaceship. And now, picture yourself standing on the green spaceship in the middle. What do you see? If you look towards the moon, you see the red spaceship moving away from you. It's getting further away from you because the moon's gravity is pulling it away faster than it's pulling you. And what do you see when you look in the other direction? Well, you see the blue spaceship and you also see it getting further away from you too. And this is because you're falling faster than it is. Because you're closer to the moon than it is, and the moon is pulling you away from it. So when you're in the middle of a line of objects falling due to gravity, you see things moving away from you in both directions. In one direction, it's because things are falling faster than you are, and in the other direction, it's because you're falling faster than they are. And this example shows how the tides are formed on Earth. On one side of the Earth, the side that's facing the Moon, the ocean gets pulled away from the Earth because it feels a stronger acceleration from the Moon's gravity. A bit like the red spaceship getting further away from the green one in our example. On the other side of the planet, the side facing away from the Moon, the Earth gets pulled away from the ocean. A bit like the green spaceship getting pulled away from the blue one. And so for us here on Earth, Standing in the middle, we see the oceans bulge up on either side. One bulge pointing towards the moon, and the other bulge pointing away from the moon. And that is why there are two tidal bulges on Earth, and thus two tides a day. 
So this is the second, much less obvious consequence of gravity. Gravity doesn't only act to attract objects. Because the strength of gravity changes with distance, it also acts to stretch things. And gravity is a two-way street. Earth's gravity also causes tides in the moon. But the moon doesn't have any oceans to slosh around, so the entire moon stretches instead. Gravity stretches the moon into a football shape rather than a perfect sphere. It's not by much, it's only a tiny amount, but enough to have important consequences. Because as the moon stretches under the Earth's gravity, the bulging part of the moon will be slightly closer to Earth and feel a stronger attraction, and so will have a tendency to hang towards the Earth, feeling the full effect of gravity. And over time, this has caused the rotation of the moon to lock into synchronization with its orbit, so that the heaviest, bulging side of the moon always hangs towards the Earth. And the result is we always see the same face of the moon. Every full moon looks the same, because we're always seeing the same face of the moon. And this is called tidal locking. We say the moon is tidally locked to the Earth. And it's all because of the stretching behaviour of gravity. The same effect that causes the tides is responsible for the moon always showing the same face towards the Earth. The ability of tides to stretch things has other consequences too. Scientists speculate that the rings of Saturn, arguably the most impressive visual feature of the solar system, might have been formed when, a few million years ago, one of Saturn's many moons strayed too close to the planet. Eventually the tidal forces stretching this moon would have been stronger than the internal strength holding it together, and this poor moon would have been torn apart by Saturn's immense gravity spreading thin to eventually form the rings that we know and love today. So there we have it. Tides, as we see, are not caused just by gravity, but more importantly, by differences in gravity from place to place. And there are many more implications of tides as well. But for now, I want to mention another interesting observation that you can make about the moon, and that is eclipses. If you're up very late, or very early, then there will be a partial lunar eclipse at about 3am on Saturday morning, June the 6th. Now a lunar eclipse happens when the moon passes into the Earth's shadow. So remember, the reason we can see the moon in the sky at all is because sunlight travels out from the sun, bounces off the moon and into our eyes. And as the Earth moves through space, it casts a shadow. And we normally can't see this shadow because it's not falling onto anything. But a couple of times a year, the moon is in just the right position to move into the Earth's shadow, and darkness falls upon the face of the moon. But not quite. Earth has something truly remarkable. An atmosphere. Take a deep breath of it. The light from the sun consists of all the colours of the rainbow mixed together. And the gases in our atmosphere are very good at bouncing and scattering blue light. So when light from the sun reaches the earth, all the blue light gets scattered and bounces around our atmosphere, making our sky blue and leaving behind all of the reddish colours of sunlight. During a total lunar eclipse, when the moon passes entirely into the earth's shadow, sunlight passes through the earth's atmosphere. And all of the blue light stays here on Earth, because it gets scattered and bounced around by the atmosphere. And all of the red light, however, passes straight through the atmosphere, 
towards the direction of the moon, falling upon the lunar surface, turning the moon a deep, dark red. The lunar eclipse that will take place on Saturday morning is only a partial lunar eclipse, meaning the moon won't pass completely into the Earth's shadow, so only part of the moon will turn red, and it will look like somebody's taken a big bite out of the moon. There'll be a big void where part of the moon would normally be, and this will last a couple of hours. Interestingly, eclipses can only happen at certain times of year, which we call eclipse seasons. And this is because the moon's orbit is tilted a little bit compared to the Earth's. So for most of the year it passes above or below the Earth's shadow. Only in a couple of places along the Earth's orbit around the Sun do the Earth and the Moon and the Sun line up perfectly so that Earth's shadow is cast onto the Moon. By the way, astronomers have an awesome name that we use when the Earth, the Moon and the Sun are all lined up. It's called a syzygy. And that word has no vowels in it, and will annihilate just about everybody in a spelling bee. Now in the same way the Earth can cast shadows onto the Moon, the Moon can pass in front of the Sun and cast its shadow onto the Earth. And this is called a solar eclipse. And there's actually a solar eclipse in two weeks time on the 21st of June, which we'll cover in a later episode. I'd like to finish with a parting thought about the Moon. There's good reason to think that we owe our own human existence to the Moon. Scientists know that life on Earth began in the oceans. But the problem with life in the oceans is that there just don't seem to be enough evolutionary pressures to result in particularly intelligent life. Sharks, for example, have barely changed for 200 million years, because they're already so perfectly adapted for their environment the ocean just doesn't present enough challenges to force them to specialise further. But sea creatures that live close to the shore are at the mercy of the tides, being exposed to water at high tide and exposed to air at low tide. The only way for creatures to survive and thrive in an environment like this was to adapt to living on land, to develop the ability to extract oxygen from the air, and limbs to move on solid surfaces. And so, Many millions of years ago, because of the tides, life took one small step from the ocean onto the land. Life on land is far more challenging than in water. Creatures evolve different traits, appearances and characteristics. And one branch on the tree of life learnt to use a tool that is impossible in the oceans. Fire. And this particular species eventually developed great intelligence and big hungry brains and made one giant leap of evolution to become a species capable of asking questions like, how did we get here? And when we look up to the moon at night and see a big picture of a brain engraved on the surface, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that at least part of the answer to that question is right there, staring straight back at us. Gravity, intelligence, and our own human history, all secretly written on the unchanging face of our closest cosmic neighbour. That's it for another episode of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy. Tonight we learnt how the Moon causes tides and their significance for us here on Earth, as well as lunar eclipses, both fantastic lunar effects. One caused by the Moon's gravitational influence, the other caused by geometry. Remember, knowing stuff makes you cool. Good night, everybody.